Welcome to the podcasts for La Civiltà Cattolica. Uh, we have started a series of these on topical issues, some explicitly to do with the church, some uh, of a much broader range of interest and uh, a much wider collection of participants. But one that we're starting off with is about synodality. This has become a topical issue in the Catholic Church because it really is aiming at refreshing governance in the Catholic Church, how we go about that. In various ways and at different times, it has had precedence and uh, moments when, when it's been happening. But with the advent of uh, Pope Francis's discussion of it, it's got a new momentum and a new dynamism to it. Um, what I plan to do is to now speak to Cardinal Michael Cherney, uh, who's at the Vatican. He can give a more general introduction so that we can find where what's going on fits in the life of the church. Then we will go to various other places that have actually started to do it. Nothing systematic or thorough. Each of the opportunities to introduce this dynamic is its own sweet self and operates in its own particular way. But there are movements happening in Europe where the Germans are doing various things. Australia has done something and is in a process. And other churches throughout the world are also doing exactly the same thing. But let's begin with Cardinal Cherney, who wrote a, a detailed and um, thorough treatment of the topic in La Civiltà Cattolica. Welcome to this podcast series, Cardinal Cherney. Can you just outline to us what do you think the key characteristics of this dynamic are in the governance of the church? Perhaps one way to uh, begin to answer your uh, great question is uh, to uh, take a quick look at the first uh, synod, uh, which was in the early church. It is described in the Acts of the Apostles. And the church faced a very, very, very serious choice or decision, which is in order to be a follower of Christ, do you have to be Jewish? And if you think about it for a moment, you can see that this uh, was going to make a huge difference in the life of the church, depending on how that question was resolved. And uh, just to contrast uh, the synodal approach with other approaches. Uh, imagine if um, in the Acts of the Apostles, the uh, chapter about this started with a saying, and since the uh, followers of Christ were committed to electoral democracy, they decided that the question would be resolved by taking a vote. And so they would resolve whether or not Christians had to be, first had to be Jewish, depending on the results of the vote. And that's one way of resolving an issue that we are familiar with. And it has uh, the advantage of uh, having uh, the support, the solid support of at the more, more than half the people. But it can have the disadvantage of being a short-sighted uh, solution, one that might leave close to half uh, very unsatisfied and so on. So if you're not going to decide it by a vote, well, then how will you decide? 
And being uh, followers of Jesus and being uh, filled with the Holy Spirit, they took what we today would call a synodal approach, which means that you join an assembly, not everyone, but uh, representatives and leaders of, of, the, of the people or an assembly. And the uh, most important exercise after putting themselves in the presence of God and seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit is to listen and to listen and to listen which is different from a parliament where people make speeches in order to promote a particular position here you are listening to what people think to what people feel to what people have already experienced you listen especially to uh, i would say testimonies of what how the the lord has been at work in our lives up till now and um under the leadership of the um in this case of the apostles and especially of uh, St. Peter, the assembly uh, came to the conclusion that uh, in order to be a Christian, you did not have to be Jewish first. And um, we could say the rest is history because uh, you and I who come from different continents and the many people listening to us are all, or many of us are uh, Christians. If we had a uh, decision had gone the other way, uh, probably we would be a, a, a very small group, more or less the size of the Jewish population today. And so that's my, would be my first answer. Think about the tremendous question and say, well, how, as a Christian, as a believer, how would you like to see the question resolved? As we know, of course, um, a democracy may well be the best um, political system that we can have, but um, it's got enormous limitations because just because everyone agrees that something is or should be the case, doesn't mean that that is virtuous or right or anything. Look at your own personal history. Your your family are escapees from Europe, not lamented character from Germany, Adolf Hitler. He actually almost got there by by uh, by democratic means to start with. I mean, he was certainly carried the support of a lot of people. There have been throughout history ways in which the majority of people have supported a particular political inclination and it's been a disaster and just because everyone agrees that such and such is or should be the case doesn't mean that that's god's will or that it's any good so how are we going to develop a form of governance that takes into account that it's not simply a matter of uh, proposing a pathway taking a vote and thinking that that's all there is to it that's right so uh, the uh, uh, now we're making a huge leap from uh, the example i gave of the uh, uh, first synod the first uh, council of jerusalem uh, to uh, questions of today and i wouldn't like to leave the impression that we are we don't appreciate democracy we appreciate democracy and democracy is is very good when it's uh, runs well in the political sphere uh, but being a christian and belonging to the church is not uh, in the political sphere it's in a different sphere and so being in the sphere of our faith of our uh, community of our uh, following of jesus of our service to one another uh, we have 
an approach we are uh, re rediscovering and uh, and reappropriating an approach which is uh, appropriate to our nature as a, uh, a people of God and as a spiritual and ecclesial community. So uh, let's not uh, make this into a contrast with democracy. It's not that. It is uh, the the synodal way is the appropriate way for the church to uh, proceed. Uh, secondly, uh, you've asked the question, form of governments. The form of governance is already a pretty lofty idea, and I don't think it's wise uh, when we're trying to learn about synodality and get going to leap right away to the conclusion and say, ah, well, if we're synodal, then the church has to look like this or like that. That's not the. That's not a good starting point. You, you don't start by saying how it's supposed to end. You start by starting, and that's what the Holy Father is inviting us to do. So um, uh, let's not worry now about what form of governance we're going to end up with, or which what form of governance we'll have, or or the form of governance in the church what, that our grandchildren will have. Let us instead. Uh, say, ah, well, coming from the whole history of the church, and especially from uh, Vatican II, the Second Vatican Council, we are now appropriating or ma uh, taking, making use of a synodal way of proceeding. And for that, we're very grateful. And uh, so let's begin. Okay. Um, if, if you actually look at it, I, I couldn't agree more that the church is something that God makes. It's not something that, that is the result of factions or agitation or um, the ways in which people get together and, and um, syndicate their, their views and try to win allegiance and then press those things through. It's a far more subtle and nuanced and complex thing than that. But the fact of the matter is for the Catholic Church that these considerations are given in a context that has a history. I think an historian that both of us would have the highest of respect for, uh, John O'Malley, in his history of Vatican II, speaks about what, what he calls the long 19th century, which is not an uncommon reference for people the, uh, in, in church history. It's a long 19th century because it begins at the French Revolution in the 18th century, and it goes through until well after the, the first the Second World War and uh, the commencement of Vatican II and, John, and the pontificate of John Twenty-Third. Now, I think if we're to take all that into account, we're, we're talking about an immensely complex, highly structured community. And that makes the development of the church and its synodality all the more complex, all the more complex, because we have history. And we have history in the way in which we approach issues and problems and challenges and discussions and community consensus. And that can really get in the way of finding out what is the will of God and how are we going to live according to the will of God? Because we've got inherited from the Council of Trent, we have a, a highly clericalized understanding of force and decision-making in the church, jurisdiction and all that, and how we actually don't get choked by those sort of very important in their own time, 
but of less and less significance the longer they go. How are we going to move beyond that? The first move at the Vatican Council was made when they started talking about collegiality. But collegiality, in a sense, sums up the problem. It's collegiality among hierarchs, among bishops and people like that. Now, how do we get beyond structures that work for clerics, who are all males, into a participatory form of engagement that allows people to do what they do in a collective and cooperative way? Well, I think uh, my feeling is that I, I would, but um, you know, one, one can very much appreciate the uh, the history that you've given, uh, but it it remains, uh, in my opinion, it remains in the background in answer to the question that you're really asking, and my my simple answer would be, um, and I take this from a popular musical, I think we ought to begin at the beginning, begin at the beginning, and the beginning is listening and the listening begins at the parish level at the local level and uh, is uh, a contribution uh, to the listening in our uh, diocese and that's uh, that's the beginning so uh, while all the history and all the structures and all the uh, all the 19th century problems that you've mentioned are are there in the background that's not actually what we're dealing with we're, we're beginning uh, at the beginning, and the beginning of synodal process uh, is a listening. So that's uh, how I would respond. It's uh, what can you and I do to uh, contribute to and to facilitate, to encourage, to support uh, the first uh, steps of listening. I think that's very right, and I think we have to be courageous in seeing the whole thing through. What do you think will be the major issues this is a very topical consideration in Australia um, because we do have a lot of people involved in a conversation and listening to each other. But what do you think will be the major issues that a church like Australia, which is facing the same problems I'm sure familiar to you in Canada, the, the church is facing issues here of relevance, you know, the monstrous blight of child sex abuse and the complete you know, eroding of any credibility of, of church leadership because of the way they've handled it and what now needs to be done. But I think, you know, what we're all looking for are threads and themes that are going to take us out of the ways that we've become bogged down in the mud of our own stupid self-destruction. What do you think will be some of those key issues? Well, uh Again, I, I, I don't know what the key issues will be, um, and, and that's, uh, I think it's, uh, in a sense, better uh, not to foresee the issues because then we get uh, entangled in the issues and in the controversies that are already bubbling in the issues. Um, but if we, if we begin at the beginning and uh, we uh, take a look at um, our human existence and specifically our Christian existence uh, from, from where we are uh, with the people whom we are living our lives, uh, I think we will uh, start to see what are, the, what are going to be the key, the key issues. And while well-informed people like you and I and those who are listening to this program 
could probably uh, easily draw up a long uh, shopping list of very important issues. Uh, when uh, we join God's people and actually uh, listen and uh, talk and uh, share, uh, we might be surprised uh, to find that there are many, many important issues, but that the uh, important uh, first ones are, are different than what we imagined. And uh, that's also <laughs> brings us back to the First Council of Jerusalem, where um, probably many people could have told you what the issues were, but would have been uh, very hard pressed to tell you how the decision was actually going to go. So I wouldn't worry too, I wouldn't, let's say, um, uh, mesmerize ourselves with a, a list of of sort of uh, hot button topics that we can hardly imagine uh, being uh, discussed, much less resolved. Instead of um, getting hung up on that, which is in a, uh, with all due respect, a kind of a, a media approach, uh, I would take a more of a pilgrim approach. Uh, a pilgrim has a vague uh, idea of where he or she hopes to end up, but what uh, is completely new and unexpected is uh, all the grace uh, that comes along the way. And that's what we're seeking to uh, receive and to embrace and to share. That's an attractive and persuasive way to approach it. And I think um, what's good about it is effectively that uh, there's a dynamism at work in that and there's, a, there's an open-endedness at work in that. And I think that that's really what we've got to keep, keep in mind. Not to fall for the old thing. I, 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 did you ever know my good friend Peter Steele? I don't think so, no. Peter, Peter was an Australian Jesuit who was a, a poet and uh, he was provincial of Australia. And I remember 40 years ago, he's quoting uh, an American and maybe a Canadian comedian named Michael Frayne. And uh, he said he described a person as having a very open mind open at the front and open at the back. And I think that's what can happen in conversations like this, that um, nothing really gets any purchase. But that's not what you're saying. What you're saying is, if we are not fixed and lodged in our predispositions, we will not become the victims of our ideology and the ways in which the ideology contains and controls us and that's what we should hope for so i think that's probably really all we need michael at this stage and then go and see what they're trying to do in australia in germany perhaps now even italy and that will be interesting to see what they come up with so thank you very much for your time and uh, best wishes for this and other challenging projects Thank you so much, and uh, I wish uh, you and all the listeners, uh, uh, now I'll invent a new verb, uh, I wish uh, each of us and all of us good synoding, good synoding. <laughs> let, us, uh, let us learn to synod together, and then we will end up, uh, or we will increasingly enjoy a more and more synodal church. So thank you, and God bless you very much. Bye-bye for now. Thanks. Thanks, Michael.